Well, good morning. Let me say welcome to you as well. It's always uh, a joy. I, I love worshiping with you guys. So um, thank you for being here. Um, if you and I have not met before, my name is Adam Radcliffe. I am one of the pastors on staff here at the church, and I have the, the, the privilege of leading us in the preaching of God's word this morning. I'm also the, um, the dad of a brand new baby boy, um, so I feel well-rested this morning. Um, but uh, on behalf of my family, let me just say thank you uh, for all of your congratulations, um, your support, your prayers, uh, your meals. Uh, we, feel, we feel blessed, and we feel the love from you. So I just wanted to say that on behalf of our family. We're going to be in Mark chapter 14 this morning, so if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. Um, if not, we also have the passage printed for you in the bulletin. But we're in week seven of an eight-week series, and over the past several weeks, we've been looking at the gospel of Mark, and we're asking this question, what is a disciple? You know, what does one look like? In other words, what are some of the characteristics and qualities of those who follow Jesus? And so we're continuing to look at the life of a disciple this morning, and specifically, I want us to consider this, this biblical theme that a follower of Jesus is one who withstands temptation. One who withstands temptation that if you're a Christian, that you're not okay with your sin. And you're not okay with the things that entice us to sin because we know what it costs Jesus. And we know that he offers us something far better and more satisfying in himself. But, you know, right here, out out of the gate, so that I can disarm us in some ways, is that as long as we have breath, we will continue to struggle with sin. That we will continue to prefer other things to God. We'll continue to give in to temptation, which is why, if you're a Christian, you treasure the gospel in the first place. But as followers of Jesus, we want to be the kind of people who are wide awake to sin's deceit and deadliness and who never give up the fight to be rid of it for the glory of Christ and the good of our own souls. You know, I I feel a certain sense of urgency and weightiness this morning, maybe even more so than at other times when preaching. And part of the reason for that, I think, is because I know that in a room this size and just because of human nature, there are people here right now who feel especially tempted in some area of life. Or maybe you feel entangled by some sin and you just can't break free from it. That the temptation is so strong that you just keep getting defeated. You know, in one sense, every moment of life for all of us is a moment of temptation. Like, will, in this moment, will we trust God or not? Will we delight to obey his word or not? Will we follow Jesus in this moment or will we go after something else? But at other times, temptation seems much more apparent and powerful. But the reality is we all feel the tug We all feel the pull towards sin. And sometimes that pull is subtle and imperceptible until we find ourselves in a place that we never dreamed that we would ever go. 
because we've been drifting for that long. But as we, as we think about this topic this morning, I hesitate to even give specific examples of temptation and sin for fear that we will think ourselves off the hook. That if we don't struggle with such and such, like lust or coveting or greed or pride, that those things don't tug at us and there's no real danger. But let me just say this, that if that's you this morning, then you must not know your heart very well. And you must not know the threat because Peter in the passage that we're going to look at, couldn't conceive of the possibility of ever denying Jesus, of giving in to that temptation. But given the right circumstances and the right opportunity, that's precisely what he will do. And brothers and sisters, that's precisely what we will do if we are naive and unprepared. And it's meant to serve as a warning for us. But Paul tells the Corinthians that anyone who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. So part of my sense of urgency this morning is to talk us all back away from the cliff, from falling off, as it were, especially if we don't think we're actually on one. Because temptation to sin for all of us is so pervasive It's so powerful. It's so tailor-made to our own disposition, our own circumstances. And it's such a threat to faith. As we'll see, it demands our constant wakefulness and prayer if we wish to withstand it. The passage that that we're going to look at in in a minute is a familiar one to a lot of us. But let me give you the context before we read it. Jesus was just in the upper room with his disciples eating the Passover meal. And and he gives the Passover meal a a significance and a meaning that it didn't have before. It's the the same night that he's going to be betrayed by Judas, one of his disciples. It's also the night of his greatest temptation And the night that all of his closest friends and disciples will abandon him for fear of losing their lives. And it's also the night before the cross when he will bear the full weight of the wrath of God for our sin. And we pick up the story in verse 26 of chapter 14. It says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. 
Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and he prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping. For their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I feel especially inadequate as a preacher this morning. This is a a weighty and a serious topic. And Lord, all of us are distracted and tired and indifferent. So we need you to come by your spirit and do a work in us. Help us to see Jesus as more compelling than all the authors of sin. We pray this in his beautiful name. Amen. You know, there's a lot in this passage that demands our attention. For instance, if you remember, Jesus' ministry began when he was tempted in the wilderness by Satan for 40 days. And it shows us there that Jesus is the, the better and more faithful Israelite. Remember, over the summer, we studied the book of Numbers. Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because of their unbelief. And here he is at the end of his ministry facing his greatest temptation in the garden, showing us that he is the faithful and greater Adam. Adam, you'll remember, who fell into temptation and sinned in the garden, bringing the curse upon all of us. So these two events marked by severe temptation really stand as bookends in the life and ministry of Jesus. The point is, he succeeds where all others have failed, which is good news for us. So hang on to that. But this morning, I really want to focus in on what Jesus says to his disciples in verse 38, where he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So I want us to think about that. You know, John Owen was a Puritan back in the 1600s, wrote an entire book on this one verse alone, taken from Matthew's gospel. But I want us to look at that. Because Jesus had told them that they would all fall away because of what was about to happen to him. But what did did Peter and all the rest of them say? He said, if I'm... If I must die with you, then I, I will not deny you. In other words, if things go south here, Jesus, in a little bit, you can count on us being right there with you, even if it means death. But within just a, sh- a few short verses, what are, they, what are they doing? They're fast asleep, right? They're unaware of the danger, both within them and around them. And by the end of the chapter, Jesus' words prove true. And we see here in striking fashion the contrast between the Savior and the ones he came to save. Because in that moment, unlike Jesus, the disciples failed to withstand temptation. 
And that's our story too. Which is why Jesus was going to the cross in the first place. So here's the direction I want to take us in this morning as we think about this. The first thing is, what is temptation biblically? And what's its danger? We need to get clarity on that first. And the second thing, as followers of Jesus, how do we withstand temptation when it comes? Jesus tells us here to watch and pray that we may not enter into it. So we'll consider those. And then the last thing, a hopeful word for the tempted and the sinner, which is all of us in the room. So that's where we're headed. So what is temptation? Think about this. Jesus was tempted his whole life with all the temptations to sin that you and I face, but never once sinned. He loved God with all of his heart and all of his soul and all of his might all the time. And he loved his neighbor all the time. So the first thing that we need to say about temptation is what it's not. Temptation to sin is not the same as sin. So what is it then? The first chapter of James is really helpful in understanding this, and I've, I've included it in the bulletin for you. Listen to what James says in verse 13. He says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Then verse 14, this is really, really key. So that each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Let me try to help us think about this. I grew up in, in West Virginia hunting and fishing. Loved it. And I know we have some hunters and, and fishermen in the room. And I know, I know with fishing that it really matters what kind of bait you use. It's called a fishing lure. You might start off with one kind in the morning, and then you move to another because you don't have any luck, can't buy a bite. Then you move to a different kind of bait until you find one that works, right? Because the point is to draw out the fish, to make what's on the end of your line so attractive and so appealing that he can't resist, and so he comes up and he grabs it. But what he doesn't know is that there's a hook on the end of it. And it's going to take him where he doesn't want to go. Now that is a perfect image of what happens when you and I are tempted to sin. We are like that fish. It doesn't matter what the temptation is. And this is important. James is saying here that the desire is already within us. That it's within our very hearts. You know, we looked at this a, a few weeks ago from Mark chapter 7. But get this the issue is not that we have desires, that we have hungers and thirsts and loves. That's not the issue. That's fundamental to our being human. The issue where things go wrong is the object of those desires what we think will ultimately satisfy us. In our, in our passage, the disciples loved their lives and their security and their safety in that moment more than Jesus. So they bolted. That life was more precious to them. So we are tempted to sin when something is presented to us as being more desirable 
and more satisfying than who God is and what he has offered us in Christ Jesus. And it could be sex, it could be money, it could be power, it could be life itself. And it becomes sin when we are led away by our desires to go after that thing that looks so enticing because we believe it's what's going to truly satisfy us only to find out that there is a hook on the end of it. And it takes us where we don't want to go. James goes on to say, Then desire, when it has deceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. If you, if you think about that, that's really vivid imagery, isn't it? That lust needs a lover to attach itself to. That our hearts will always and inevitably go after what we believe is most desirable and most lovely every single time. So that's the dynamic of temptation that's at play within us. And we already begin to sense the danger of it and why we must be radical in withstanding it. Because the stakes are high, right? How high are the stakes? Listen to what Jesus says in Mark chapter 9, where he's talking about temptations to sin, causes of sin. Listen to what he says. He says, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Or if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. The question is why, Jesus? He gives the answer. He says, it is better for you to enter eternal life without a hand or foot or eye than to be thrown into hell. And we are so quick to soften Jesus's language there because it makes us really uncomfortable. But, but what's his point? A couple things. First, we must be radical in dealing with sin because it's deadly. It's not a pet that we take home with us. That's crystal clear from what Jesus says, that it's a a cancer that is killing us and must be cut out if we want to live. And not only that, but if we care about getting rid of the sin, then we'll also care about the temptation that gives us the opportunity. Or we could put it this way, that if if we care about the fruit, you know, the behavior above the surface, the sin, then we'll also care about the root that causes the sin to, to spring up. The things that attract us, entice us, that lead us away from following Jesus. And notice that he is appealing to our desire there in that text. You want to live, don't you? Jesus says. You want to live, right? We all want to live. If you really want to live, then you will kill the thing that is killing you. Cut it off at the source because it is better for you to hobble on your way to heaven than to skip on your way to hell. And so to bring this back to our passage in Mark 14, Jesus says to his disciples and to us, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation that you will not yield, you will not be so enticed, so drawn into the deceit by the shiny object, you know, the bait with a hook on it, and fall into sin. 
So that's a, that's a quick explanation of temptation and its danger. So how do we withstand it? How do we sever the root before it ever has a chance to bear fruit in our lives? How do we come to see sin for what it is so that it loses its luster and appeal? We can't say everything this morning, obviously, but Jesus mentions two things in this passage. John Owen, who I referenced earlier, said, these two duties are the whole endeavor of faith to preserve us from temptation. So first, what does Jesus mean when he tells us to watch? This this verb, this imperative shows up elsewhere in the New Testament and in the Gospels. And it's also translated as keep awake, wake up, be vigilant, be alert. And that's certainly the sense here. You know, I remember being in high school and I had some, had some friends who lived about an hour away from us up in the mountains. And there were several times when I'd be driving home really late at night and just dog tired, shouldn't have been driving, not smart at all. But I, I distinctly remember a couple of times when I must have dozed off for just a brief minute only to be, you know, startled awake by the sound of the tires going over the rumble strip. You know, they're also called sleeper lines, right? For good reason. And it scared me half to death. It jarred me awake. But it saved my life. You know, the purpose of that strip on the side of the road is to wake you up to the danger. To tell you that you don't want to go that direction because it's not going to end well for you. That's similar to what Jesus is saying here with regard to temptation. He tells us to keep awake, to be vigilant because he knows there is danger ahead. And he knows how prone we are to falling asleep at the wheel. He knows that our hearts, our desires will deceive us. And he knows the enemy is close. And not only is he at the gate, but he's at the door. And not only is he at the door, but he's inside the house. He's in our very hearts. And Jesus says, wake up and put a knife to his throat before he puts one to yours. Because there are two active agents in our temptation. Satan, our great enemy, we'll get back to him in a minute, and our own hearts And we must, brothers and sisters, we must learn both. But the point is this. You don't know when the temptation will come. And you don't know what it will be or how it will come. But it is coming. Therefore, don't be caught off guard by it. Make preparation, stockpile provision, strengthen where you're weakest and most vulnerable so that when the day comes, you are able to withstand and to see sin's deceit and deadliness before you go up and you bite that hook. That's the idea. Let me offer another brief illustration. Suppose someone threatened your family. I believe it was a legitimate threat. And you had a really good idea that they would try to break into your house at night when you are most vulnerable, when you're asleep. You wouldn't leave the door or the windows 
open and unlocked, would you? You wouldn't tuck in the kids and hop into bed like you normally would and drift off to sleep like any other night. Why? There's too much at stake, right? If we really believe that the threat was real, if the stakes were high enough, we would be far more vigilant, far more serious about staying awake. And that is how Jesus wants us to think about temptation. He says in Matthew 24, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into temptation like a thief is coming. Be ready for it. Be ready for it. Keep awake, though it promises you prosperity, because that's what sin promises us. Though it promises you prosperity, it will only bring you ruin. Do you remember back in Genesis chapter four, way back then, what God said to Cain, you know, when Abel offered the better sacrifice and Cain was angry and God says to him, Cain, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Jesus says to us, temptation to sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must fight it and put it to death every single time. So that's that's the first thing tells us to watch, wake up to the danger and the deceit. Don't be lulled to sleep. See sin for what it is, that it is bait with a hook in it and know that it's gonna entice you in a thousand different ways. And don't think that you can toy with it and not get hurt. Proverbs says, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? The answer, of course, is no, he can't. Just to be practical for a minute, surely if this is true, then shouldn't it change the way we think about the sorts of shows we watch or the websites we visit or the blogs we read or what we fill our minds up with, what engages our imagination and on and on and on. We must learn and watch our hearts brothers and sisters. We need to be vigilant about the things that entice us, that draw us out and lay the ax to the root and cut it off. Because here's the thing. We will always reap what we sow, Paul says in Galatians. So the question is, are we sowing the right kinds of seeds and cultivating the soil of our hearts through all the means of grace given to us so that gospel fruit is being borne out in our lives? Are we filling our minds and our hearts with things that dishonor God and harm us? Because if that is true, then we should not be surprised when temptation comes and we have very little victory over it. Keep awake, Jesus says. But he also tells us to pray because we can't do any of this on our own. You know, we did a whole sermon on prayer a couple weeks ago, so I won't repeat everything here, and I would encourage you to go back and listen to it, but we can at least say a few things that surely Jesus has in mind in this context of us not yielding to temptation. So what should we pray? Let me offer just three suggestions. The first is this, that we should pray for deliverance. 
You know, every, every week as a church, we pray the Lord's Prayer, right? We just did it. And one of the things that Jesus tells us to pray is what? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. You know, the Bible tells us that the evil one, Satan, which in the 21st century, in a very disenchanted world like ours, people think it's silly to believe in a Satan. But the Bible insists that we must. But the Bible tells us that he is a liar and a murderer. Think about that. He's intent on making us think that sex or money or power or good looks will ultimately satisfy our souls because he knows that it is poison that will ultimately kill us. And that is his greatest desire. He started with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and he's been at it ever since. Peter tells us that he is our adversary, prowling around like a lion just waiting for the right opportunity to pounce on us. Paul tells us to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand the schemes of the devil and all his flaming arrows. In other words, all of that to say is that we cannot defeat him on our own. We can't change our own hearts and we can't defeat the enemy. We are far too weak. So Jesus tells us to pray to the Father for deliverance to fight in the strength that he provides, that we wouldn't, brothers and sisters, we wouldn't believe the lie. That we would see the deception and the danger and not be defenseless. You know, we're coming up on 500 years of Reformation, right? So I feel like I have to quote from a reformer here. John Calvin says that we do not obey God without a continual warfare without sharp and arduous contests, we here pray that he would furnish us with armor and defend us by his protection, that we may be able to obtain the victory. The enemy is too great for us. Second thing, we should pray that we would not only know God's word, but that we would delight in it. The psalmist says, I have stored up your word in my heart. For what purpose? That I might not sin against you, God. That when the enemy lies to us, the truth exposes it. The only way for us to defeat the false promises of temptation is with true and better promises. Because that's what Jesus did when he was tempted in the wilderness. We should pray for God to make us like the, the person of Psalm 1. Who delights in the law of the Lord. Who meditates on it day and night. It's like a tree planted by streams of water. That bears fruit and can't be moved. This is how we prepare for temptation by meditating on God's word, by storing it in our hearts, by delighting in it as the way to true life and joy. We pray that God would make that happen for us. Here's one more. That we should pray to see Jesus, the word made flesh, as more compelling and more satisfying than all other enticements. 
Here's where the battle is won, that we would come to know how excellent and how beautiful and glorious and satisfying he is and delight in all the promises of the gospel that he died to secure for us. You know, we began our worship service this morning by reading and singing from Psalm 16. Psalm 16, which says, You, Lord, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know, that, that's an appeal to our desires, isn't it? He's appealing to our desires. It's an enticement. Do you want joy to the fullest? Do you want pleasures that last forever? We all do. There's not a person alive on the planet who doesn't want that. It's found in Christ alone. And so we pray that we would believe it and experience. We pray to be awake, not only to the ugliness of sin, but to the beauty of Jesus. Because here's the thing. Temptation will be strong. Get this, temptation will be strong when our God is too weak. Sin will be great when our God is too small. But temptation will lose its power and sin will lose its luster when Jesus is big and beautiful and all satisfying. We pray that that would happen for us. Watch and pray, Jesus says, that you may not enter into temptation Here's my last point. A hopeful word for the tempted and the sinner, which is all of us. You know, when Jesus gathered his disciples around the table that night and he gave them the bread, saying, this is my body, which is for you. And then he gave them the cup and he said, this is my blood, the new covenant for you. Eat and drink in remembrance of me. He knew the men sitting around that table would give in to temptation. That they would sin and abandon him that very night. And he also knew the same would be true for us. That the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But isn't it beautiful that he's still having a meal with them? The deniers, the sinners, because that's precisely why he came and that's why he went to the cross. He withstood temptation because we couldn't. He hated sin because we loved it. It had no hold on him because it had a death grip on us. That's the good news, brothers and sisters. You know, the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So let me ask you this morning, do you feel worn out by the fight? Do you feel weak, tired? maybe even hopeless in your struggle with sin and not worthy of forgiveness. Here's hope. You belong to one who will fight for you, who is able to help you, who can change your heart and your desires, who will not let you fall so far that his hand cannot reach you 
whose blood speaks a better word than our own sin. Let me end with this. Luke, gospel writer in his gospel, he gives us another window into what happened that night. After the Lord's Supper, and before they go to the Mount of Olives, to Gethsemane, and Jesus tells them to watch and pray that they wouldn't enter into temptation. Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Peter, Simon, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Peter, the devil, your greatest enemy makes demands. He makes demands of us too. And he demanded to have you to destroy your faith. But here's the thing, Peter, that he is a lackey on a short leash. And the leash is in my hand. And he can't do anything to take you away from me. Brothers and sisters, let that embolden us in our fight with temptation and sin. We will continue to lose battles. We will be duped into believing the lie. We will fall asleep and forget about the danger. We will go after things that look good, that promise much, but have a hook on the end of them. And they they will leave us hurting. And they will leave us longing for something that satisfies. Time and time again, let it lead us to Jesus. Let it lead us to Jesus, who through his perfect life, death, and resurrection crushed the head of the enemy from way back in Genesis 3, ensuring that the victory is certain. As Paul says at the end of Romans, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet and temptation to sin will be no more and God will be all in all. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, this is indeed a weighty and serious thing. We thank you for the Lord Jesus who came to destroy our love affair with sin. Father, you know how prone we are to falling asleep. You know how prone we are to not recognizing the danger. You know how prone we are to toying with temptation and sin. And so, Father, we pray that you would give us eyes to see Jesus as more compelling and more beautiful than all other enticements of this world. Lord, you can only do that work. You can only change our hearts and defeat the enemy on our behalf. And so we pray that you would do that. We pray that you would give us a taste for your word, that we would delight ourselves in it. And Lord, we thank you this morning that the devil cannot ultimately harm us, but that you are keeping us. And so, Lord, that gives us great confidence. We pray that you would help us to know it. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.